first question we're going to look at is music moral or amoral or immoral? Because there's a great claim out there today that music is amoral. In other words, it doesn't really matter. It's an art form. It's not about um, immorality or morality. It's amoral. No moral value or worth to it. We're going to look at that question. We're also going to look at the question of, is it the lyrics or the music bed that matters the most? What is most important? So we're going to look at that as well. There's, again, in the Christian world, the cry is, the lyrics, the lyrics, the lyrics matter. Do the lyrics matter? Absolutely. They do. They're right. Is it the only thing that matters? We're going to look at that as well. Let's start with someone that was very popular, especially in the 80s and 90s, um, and even in the 2000s, Sandy Patty. You ever heard of her? She's a very prominent uh, CCM artist. You'll notice down in the corner there, it says CCM artist. That refers to contemporary Christian musician. And there is an entire genre of music now that's content. Well, it's not just a genre. It's this whole movement of contemporary Christian music. And here's what she has to say about music. Music is a very powerful force. True? Yes, absolutely. It has a way of breaking down barriers. True. But a lot of artists are taking that very powerful tool and putting negative, horrible lyrics to it. And those lyrics are getting into the hearts and listeners and are shaping their values. Is that true? Absolutely. Why can't we, for example, contemporary Christian musicians, take that same powerful force music, put positive lyrics to it, and begin shaping values that way? True. Why, why can't we do that? In fact, as a Christian musician, that's something that I want to do. I want to use beautiful lyrics and music that causes the listener to think in different ways. Amen? In fact, in music, you will find a musical term called motive. In every song that has ever been written, there is motive. Now, some have uh, hidden motives and hidden agendas, and some are very obvious what their motive is. When I write music or I create music, the whole point that I have is that I want my music to uplift people and help them think on heavenly themes. That's my motive. Amen? Other people's motives may not be so honorable, and they may have different motives. And as we go along throughout the afternoon, you will see this to be the case. David Meese, another uh, popular CCM artist, he said, basically, you have to focus on the lyrics and what the song is saying. That is my criteria to decide whether the song is right or wrong. It has nothing to do with the musical style. It has to do with the lyrics. What the song is saying, what are the words saying? As Christians, we can objectively judge it from that standpoint. So this is really the great philosophy and cry of the Christian world that it's the lyrics that matter the most. In fact, they're saying it's the only thing that really matters. And then on the other hand, we have people like Professor Marshall McLuhan, and his work actually is really viewed as one of the cornerstone studies of media in our contemporary age. Um, he was a professor, philosopher, and scholar. He's no longer living, but his work lives on. And anybody who's doing any sort of research into media and how it affects the brain or the, the body or the, the attitude uh, or the moods of people will invariably be referencing his work because it was a large body of work over a very long, successful career. Interesting what he says. The medium is the message. You might have to chew on that for a minute, but the medium is the message. Here's what he means. That is to say, the music, its melody, harmony, and rhythm, all by itself disposes a man to virtue or vice by moving the emotions. 
So what he's saying is what we have observed, what we have tested, what we've seen for millennia is that music itself, the melody, harmony, and rhythm. Notice he's, he's not even talking about the lyrical content. By itself disposes a man to virtue or vice by moving the emotions. Therefore, the way in which they move the passions should serve as a principal basis for judgment on whether any given piece of music is good or bad. So we have two composing, excuse me, two opposite, opposite uh, viewpoints here. One is saying it's only the lyrics that matter, and we have other ones saying, really, it's not even to do with the lyrical content. It has to do with the music bed itself. That's where the weight of, of, of the soul-converting information is. Dr. Richard Pellegrino, a brain specialist, he declared that music had the uncanny power to, quote, trigger a flood of human emotions and images that have the ability to instantaneously produce very powerful changes in emotional states. Take it from a brain guy. In 25 years of working with the brain, I still cannot affect a person's state of mind the way that one simple song can. And can we make sure that the audio is up on channel one and two or whatever those channels were? So I want to put this to the test. Can music, the music bed alone, influence the listener? Let's do a test. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to close your eyes. I'm going to play a short clip of music. And during that short clip of music, I want you to be aware of did it shift your feelings or your emotions? Did you have any images or thoughts that came into your mind? Fair enough? Okay, five of us, good. That's all I need. No, so let's have you close your eyes. We're going to start a piece of music. Here we go. Don't be disobedient. Close your eyes. Okay, so anybody, anything going through your mind? Any thoughts, any images? Yes, over here. Carefree, a little rabbit going through the meadows. Excellent, excellent. Anybody, yes, in the back. Happiness, Happiness. yes, yes. Joy. Joy, yeah, anybody over here, yes. Playing in nature, yes. Anybody else? Say again. Birds singing. Springtime. Okay, wait a second. How in the world did you come up with that because there was no lyrics to tell you what to think about. How did I know that you would say that it was happy and it was fun? It's because I predicted it and I'm a prophet. <laughs> no, of course not. It's because I understand music and so do you. Music is a language, my friends. And it told you what to think and how to feel. Now, it didn't say you are seeing a bunny rabbit in the grass. It didn't say it. Now, lyrics would tell you that. But see, music is far deeper than that. Because music allows our mind to be moved by it, but nobody got sad. Nobody got scared. Right? Why? Because the language of the music wasn't having you feel that way. Make sense? Okay, let's do it again. Here we go. Let's do a second one. Let's close our eyes.
Anybody? Yes, over here. Psycho. IRS. <laughs> yes. Oh, say again. Like in a tomb or something? Dooms. Yeah, dooms. Yes, yes. You're going into a dark house and what? Like, like the dangerous person. Something's going to happen. Yes, over here. Say again. Mysterious. Halloween, yes. Anxiety. Yeah. Suspenseful. Again, I get this everywhere I go. Interestingly enough, like I mentioned before, I've been on six continents in front of tens of thousands of people from Africa to New Zealand to America, and everybody responds the same. This is why, by the way, in movies that are distributed around the world, they will overdub what's being said, but they never change the music. Because I could show you an image of a tree and a little girl playing under the tree, and I could play the first song, bum, bada, bum, 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 and you're going, oh, how fun, the little girl. Or I could play the second one, you're going, run, little girl, run. <laughs> right? All we changed was the language, which is the music. Interesting, right? Okay, last one. Close your eyes. Collectively, we could all just probably go, ah, yeah, see, right? Oh, man, you guys are in tune. This is great. So what lyrical content told you all of that? No, you see, Dr. Professor McLuhan is right. We should be looking at and listening to the actual melody, harmony, and rhythm of a song. And when we do that, my friends, the reality is we can observe how is it changing my emotional state, and based on how my thoughts and emotions are being moved, I can determine whether it's going to be good or bad for me. Yes or no? Absolutely. Again, that would be peaceful and tranquil. Here's something that's interesting. When you think of communication, and we're going to bear more of this out in just a moment, think of it this way. When it comes to music, the lyrical content is about 7% of communication. 93% of it is what's going on in the way it's being presented and the music bed itself. It's the same for verbal communication. 97%, excuse me, 93% is non-verbal when we're communicating. Did you know that? And we'll bear that out as we move along. Dr. Professor Norman M. Weinberger, professor of neurobiology and behavior at UC Irvine, his research confirms that music can rapidly and powerfully set moods and do so in a way not easily attained by other means. Now, I don't know how many millions of dollars that he had to go through to be able to prove that music can rapidly and powerfully set moods. But they did it, and I can read it to you, 
but we did it in about three minutes together, and you were going, yep, my moods and my thoughts and, and my images in my mind were all being moved, right? Right. So this time, science confirms it for us. But let's tie this all together now, okay? If the thought review and herald, April 21st, 1885, we're answering the question, is music moral, immoral, or amoral? If the thoughts are wrong, the feelings will be wrong, and the thoughts and feelings combined make up the moral character. Wait a second. The thoughts and feelings make up the moral character. Music just moved my thoughts and my feelings in a seven-second piece of music. Therefore, music is very immoral or moral, not amoral. Amen? Did you catch that? For those of you who maybe didn't, I want to say it again. This is, this is very fundamental, my friends. Think of this. We're, we're answering the question with the servant of the Lord. If the thoughts are wrong, the feelings will be wrong, and the thoughts and the feelings combined make up the moral character. And since music moves the thoughts and the feelings, music is therefore very moral or immoral, not amoral. Make sense? Yes? Excellent. Can, reading on, when we decide as Christians we're not required to restrain our thoughts and feelings, oh, I'm going to listen to whatever I want to. Indeed, you have free will, and you can't. It just may not be expedient for your Christian experience. Amen? So when we decide as Christians we're not required to restrain our thoughts, I'm just going to listen to whatever, Christian. I don't want to hear your music seminar. That's okay. Free choice. You get to choose. When we think that we can listen to whatever we want and not restrain our thoughts and feelings, we are brought under the influence of evil angels. And we, influ- we invite their presence and their control. That's huge. So what this is saying is that our choices including our media, including our music choices, my friends, could invite evil angels, their presence, and their control. Yes, we're talking about possession. I have been told, I've had people tell me, Christian, you shouldn't even be talking about this. You're chasing the devil's bunnies. I've been told by well-respected people, people that you probably like their sermon material. I've been told that, that we don't even need to be talking about things. Friends, excuse me. We're living at the end of time, and the devil is marshalling his evil angels, and he's getting his disciples everywhere going, and we're not supposed to have our eyes wide open about it? Give me a break. My job that God has called me to do is to go forward to work revival and reformation. Amen. People go, well, you're supposed to be an evangelist. There, there's that aspect of our ministry too, but I'm like Paul right now. Go and work with the church. Why is that? Because at the end of time, there's going to be a huge influx of people and an outflux, if there's such a word. Right? Friends, it's our job to make sure that we have a safe place for those new people to worship. Amen. We don't want to bring them into a Babylonian worship service. And when we listen to music, when we watch TVs, when we watch movies or surf the internet, without restraining our thoughts and feelings, we could be inviting demons to hang out with us and allow them to have access to our minds. That's what that says. My wife and I are putting together right now a new seminar on social media. And friends, I'm telling you what, my, I'm, I'm so worried. I am so stressed, if you will about what's going on with these new generations. 
And we're ta- I'm talking about the little ones that have these little devices. You know, all the experts say you shouldn't even allow the children to have any of that at minimum. At the earliest age is maybe seven years old. Maybe seven. Better to not even have it in your teens because the brain is still being worked out and rewired every day. The people that are in the development of all of these apps and all the stuff that's going on, they don't let their kids have them. They don't. It's incredible. uh, Well, by the way, it's next weekend, right? Next weekend in Jasper, Tennessee. I'm going to share this for, for the second time out there in public. Come on down there, and you're going to have your head bent. It's unbelievable. You ever heard of brain hacking, addiction code? Oh, we're in trouble, friends. But when we're going through this world, and we can do, I'll just do whatever I want. I'll watch this. I'll look at this. I'll do Friends, be careful. Little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. There's so much truth to that song. Did God create music to influence our thoughts and feelings? Of course. There's nothing wrong with being moved by a piece of music. It doesn't mean that our music should be devoid of, of, of pathos and, and power and energy and, and, and sensitivity and, and skill. That's not, I'm not, Jesus love me. That's how the most congregation sing it. Unless it's a total, yeah, unless we're going nuts. No, both of them are a problem. One's dead. Ellen White says, it seems like, like somebody died. Why is there a funeral march going on in God's church? And the other one's a carnival. And she says, the Holy Spirit's not in either one. So do you think Satan has left music alone? He says, you know, I, I, I think you're right. No way. Think of this. One of the most powerful mediums on the planet Music. Tell me where music is not. In other words, movies aren't everywhere. Television's not everywhere. Artwork and, and skillful masterpieces of carving and, and, and stuff aren't everywhere. But where is music? Everywhere. It's in our homes, it's in our cars, it's in our churches, it's in our workplaces, it's on the airplane, it's on the bus, it's in the stores, it's everywhere, my friends. And now it's on our phones, it's in our devices, it's in our ears, everywhere we go. And the devil's going to leave that one alone? No way. No way. So, I'm going to go through a very quick musical history now. Because we need to understand how we got to where we are today. Now, we spent about two and a half hours on it in our our full 12-hour seminar. We're going to spend maybe the next 20, 25 minutes on it. We're going to go very quickly. So we're going to start, we're going to jump forward from early music and different music all the way to Renaissance age of 1450 to 1600. And during this time, there were a lot of changes that were taking place in the way that music and the arts were being created. And this is uh, the, type, uh, the time when the Renaissance is going on, and that means rebirth. A lot of changes were happening. And composers concerned themselves with three areas of music, sacred, secular, and instrumental. So I want to play a sacred piece of music from the Renaissance age. Now understand, this is a, a vocal piece only, um, and so a cappella piece. But I want you to hear this because it's an early piece and it was sacred.
Now we'll, we'll play a, a secular p- piece now. Hold on to your seatbelts. Notice something about that? Very interesting. They're very much alike. What's interesting is, if you go back to early music, there was not, because there was just not a lot of people that had a lot of money, and they didn't have a lot of instruments to purchase. Instruments were extremely expensive and hard to come by. What's interesting is, in the early music, the place that you went to go listen to music would have been at the king's or wealthy people's homes or at church. That's where you heard music, unless it was done vocally or from some very uh, basic instrumentation that people were starting to create. And so what's interesting also is if you look back at our musical history, back in that time, the people had this idea that God or the gods actually revealed truth. You know, you think about the Grecians, you think about the Medes, the Persians, all these different, different uh, ancient civilizations, including the Christians, they believed that, and the Israelites, they believed that you received truth from God or the gods. And then from that time, we moved into a different era to where they believed that, no, that's a fable, and now we're going to find truth through scientific experimentation. Truth is discovered, not revealed, that's a fable. And then from about the 1970s to today, we're living in an age and an era where, no, that's a fable because there is no God, and you can't discover it because there is no truth. In fact, there is no such thing as truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And this is the day and age that we live. Now, let's put a label on it, what different students have put labels on. It was called the pre-modern era, the modern era, and the post-modern era. What it basically meant was there was a whole different worldview that was going on at the time. And that worldview before was appease or please the gods or God. If you don't, you might get destroyed depending on what their belief was. Or we want to bring honor and glory to our God, Father, uh, the, the, the Creator. And so in that postmodern era, the music was very largely the same because the worldview was let's please the gods. Or, or God. Make sense? And the art reflected that worldview, including music. The music informed the art, and the art informed the worldview. And so they worked hand in hand together. And then it morphed and modified as we started to have these ideas and theories that started to come about of the origin of the species, for instance, and this whole idea of evolution. And no, I wasn't created. No, I was actually... I came from this big bang, and I came through this this animalistic heritage. I'm not a creature after God's image. I'm just an animal that's more evolved. Interestingly enough, the art began to change because we didn't have such a high concept anymore. It was now brought more base. And if if you track art throughout our history, you can see it going on what I call a devolution. Not an evolution, a devolution. And so you start appeasing the Lord or gods, and it's a very interesting, very similar, acceptable. And then it starts to change because now I'm just an animal. And by the way, there is no truth like that. I'm going to discover the truth because through scientific experimentation, I can prove what is truth. 
And then from the ni- 1970s on, there is no truth. Your truth is your truth. If there is such a thing, it's not revealed and it is not discovered. So now we're living in this postmodern era where anything goes because who are you to judge me? And if you look at the music, it followed this trajectory a devolution. And now, my friends, it's been welcomed right into the church. The continuing of the devolution. So I, I just want to put that little thought in your mind because it's very important to track what was happening. So around the age of enlightenment or this modern era, something horrible began to happen in the 1800s in America. Slaves from Africa were sold to white merchants in North America. They brought with them uh, from Africa the ritualistic religious practices known as voodoo, heavily wrapped around tribal drumming. Now understand, we're going to talk about the African tribal music influence on America because this is uh, America's musical history, and as we embraced this new type of music and fused it with the music that we had and created this new type of genre of music, we exported it to the world. You've heard the idea, so goes California, so goes the nation, so goes the world. Well, that's what happens. When we get something that we really like, we export it out there like nobody else. And this is the world's musical history after you get into about this time in uh, Earth's history. Now, I also want you to understand, though, Africa is not the only place where ritualistic tribal drumming takes place. It's in every single culture. And if we had time, we would bear all of this out. All the way back to the Tower of Babel. When God split up his people, there were those who worshiped God, the creator, and those who were engaged in their pagan worship styles. And every corner of the world that they went to, they took both with them. So it's not just an African thing, and I'm gonna show you because we're gonna play some samples here from around the world. So. John H. Steele, who is a, an expert in occultic and ancestral worship, he writes this, The follower of voodoo seeks to incorporate a loa, or a lesser god, into himself by writhing and leaping through a dance while drums bang out complex rhythms. Now, a loa, by the way, as Christians, we know that there's no such thing as a lesser god, right? What, what would this be? A demon, of course. So, the, the idea is, man, I wish I had a long time with you guys. The idea is when you are in these, these ritualistic practices and these, these tribal, this tribal drumming and this whole worship service, the idea is you want to become possessed. This is the goal of it. And so you take mind-altering substances and you have these, this, this pronounced drumming. Why, why would you want to be doing this? Because the drumming itself numbs the mind. And it opens you up. This is, this is scientific and spiritual proof. We know this for a fact. And so what happens is that frontal lobe is not functioning like it would normally. And you are taking that other mind-numbing substance. And before you know it, you are pleading for possession. Because the goal is to be the strongest in the tribe, to have the most supernatural power. And so what happens is, you in, in these worship services, what's crazy is, they will have poisonous frogs that they will put in their mouths. And after they have banged all this stuff out, and they've taken that mind-altering substance, and they become possessed by that loa, they have supernatural powers, and they will not get sick, they will not die. They will drink poisonous substances, and they will not get sick, and they will not die. They will have vipers and snakes bite them, venomous snakes, and they will not get sick or die. They will slice themselves and heal themselves. 
And some, we in the West, we go, yeah, right, that sounds like a movie. No, people. When I shared this, I was in Africa uh, two, two years ago, I was in Nigeria, and we had people from all over the African continent come to this amazing set of meetings that we had. We had over 300 young professionals that came, and they each wanted to go out and continue to work in their fields. And so we were training them up, and I was teaching on these subjects and teaching about sacred worship practices. And when I started sharing this, I saw their eyeballs get about this big. And they came up to me and said, Oh, Brother Christian, you don't even know the half of it. And they started to actually educate me on how bad it really was. And everything I said, they said, Oh, yes, this is what happens. My grandfather is the witch doctor. And that's the most powerful one of the tribe. And so the challenge is, my friends, we have a lot of spiritualistic things that are going on, and we're going to see over time that some of this was slipped right into the modern-day music. When just the right rhythm is found for an individual demon, Loa, the dancer takes it up and the Loa enters his soul, and the religion is strictly Dionysian. It's very sensual. You will always find three things in pagan rites. You'll find... Uh, indiscriminate sexual activity, you'll find mind-altering drugs and hypnotic music. In fact, it's the chosen slogan for the rock and roll industry, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's really just the same thing, just repackaged and rebranded in a different way. Dr. Richard Hodges, he continues to describe the process. Drummers often shuffle their feet or sway their bodies in dance-like motions to assist them in maintaining contact with the main beat, especially when the rhythm is syncopated. And We'll get into syncopation in just a little bit. During these rituals that still take place in Congo and Yoruba land, the intricate layers of the multiple rhythmic drumming are considered the primary source of occult power. Here's what I want you to be thinking. When you think of drumming or music that's created that's heavily based around the drumming, there's a lot of layers to it usually. It's not just drums, it's anything that's percussion. And, so it, and anything that could be played rhythmically. So I want you to think of the phrase of polyrhythmic elements. That just means many rhythms at one time. And I say elements because it doesn't just have to be drums. People are like really down on drums, but I'm also here to say you drums are, tell you drums are not evil. And the reality is, if you look biblically, there are some precedents for us to even have drums in our culture. God himself had his people use drums and they marched to the drums. God told them to do that. And there are times that they used drums for war, and no doubt they had them in certain festivals or certain gatherings. But, my friends, there's no precedent for having them in the worship service in the house of God. And we will bear that out as we progress. So I'm going to play some actual samples now of just three different samples of voodoo, short clips, because I want you to listen to the actual different layers of drumming that's going on. Not just drumming, but the polyrhythmic elements, the different things that you'll hear. Listen to the different levels. There's, There's five layers. This is the type of drumming that would be used in order to find the right loa to become possessed. This is more modern. Ah, la, la, yeah. ah, la, 
all these different layers. And this is, those were actual clips. These aren't, weren't conjectured up. These were actual clips. And so the whole goal is to become possessed. Now, like I said, this is not an African phenomenon. It's just happened to be that African music influenced American music and American music influenced the world. Latin America. Same type of drum. Just a little different flavor. How about Native America? And the longer you listen to it, they add more and more and more layers. Just a different flavor. How about Scotland? Russia. Japan. India. And in my opinion, the coolest one ever, Africa. And the reason I say that, frankly, if anybody that knows me actually on a really personal level, they'll tell you that I'm, I'm actually a six-foot black man trapped in a little white man's body. I, I, I have to restrain myself because I'm like, let's go tribal. No, I was kidding. In the book, The Power of Sound, How to Be Healthy and Productive Using Music and Sound, uh, in, a, in an area entitled Stress and Addiction, it states, these studies also, uh, they, they, what they did is they looked at a bunch of studies, they audited all of them, and here's their conclusions. The studies also have shown that driving drum rhythms in excess of three to four beats per second will put the brain into a state of stress, regardless if the listener likes or dislikes the music. Because there are some times when people say, well, I was raised listening to this music or that kind of music. It doesn't really affect me like it does. Well, it may not affect you emotionally like you think anymore, but friends, it still affects us physiologically and neurologically speaking because we are created by the same creator. They've gone around on every inhabited continent in this, in this world, and they've done different studies, and they'd show people colors, and they'd listen, let them listen to music. Everybody responds the same to color stimuli and music in the same way, neurologically speaking. Everybody. Now, we might respond emotionally different, and that's another subject that we will talk about as we move along. Now, regardless if the listener likes or dislikes the music, when the brain is in a stressful state, it will release opioids, a group of hormones that function like morphine to help return it itself to normal equilibrium. So here's what happens. Literally, the brain perceives that drumming, whether it's very tribal sounding or very modern pop sounding or hip hop or whatever it may be, and and rock and roll, death metal, all this, it perceives this as an aural, an audible assault. And it doesn't like this. It causes stress in the brain. In fact, the, between the left and the right hemisphere, it causes what science calls a friction in the brain. And it doesn't like to be in this state of being unbalanced. So it releases the hormone that's an opioid. And have you ever heard of the opioid epidemic? Well, this is a natural way you're releasing opioids and it causes the brain to go, oh, okay, yeah, okay, whew. okay, back to normal here. The problem with this is there, is there is very strong scientific evidence that this, during that process, it is very um, efficient at putting us into that alpha mode. 
So here's the challenge. The brain is stressed. We're being assaulted, it perceives, releases the opioid, and ah, we get this feeling. These opioids, when experienced often enough, can be addicting, and the listener seeks for the, quote, high again. This is why listeners tend to move from less to harder music. In fact, if you ever have worked with or talked with anybody that's been a legitimate drug addict, they'll tell you that first high that they had was the best. And the drug addict chases that high for the rest of their life. The problem is you'll never have that level of high again because your body gets a little bit accustomed to it and it doesn't have the same effect. So the high only goes here, and then the high only goes here, and then it only goes here, but you gotta take more. And you get up there, but you'll never get back up to that high. It's the same with music. When you are releasing that opioid, the first time you, you have an actual neurological and a physiological, which we'll look at in just a moment, physiological response, as well as an emotional response to this music, and this is why we go, I love that. I mean, we actually use the word love when we talk about our music. Why? It becomes very, <coughs> very personal to us. <coughs> By the way, I'll make a quick announcement here. Some of you know I've been struggling with vocal problems. <clears throat> Three years ago, I got a viral infection and it paralyzed my vocal cords, and it paralyzed my, the whole vagus nerve, including my stomach muscle that closes and open and lets food up and down, but I'm not supposed to let food come up. <clears throat> and so I have problems with my throat. That's why I'm, I haven't sang. I had a brother come up to me and go, there's only one problem with you right now. I'm paraphrasing. You haven't sung. I said, I know I, I can't right now. He goes, okay, I'll let you off the hook. But the reality is I, I'm having issues, and I've been up in Nashville, and I'm doing a bunch of therapy right now. And so when you dive into a lot of therapy, you kind of take a couple steps backwards even. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I've got to be real careful <clears throat> in pushing it. Or uh, my wife will be coming up here and presenting it. And she's like, please, Lord, help him. <laughs> right, sweetheart? I got your number. <coughs> okay, well, we'll default to my son. Uh, oh, wait, I can't talk. Okay, come here, Tyler. <laughs> so these opioids, when experienced often enough, can be addicting, and this, the listener seeks for the high again. This is why listeners tend to move from less to harder music. So what happens is it, that numbing effect that we, ooh, kind of like that, will move from that, maybe that soft rock to a little bit more of a medium rock to a, a rock, and eventually to a hard rock to metal and this is exactly what happened in my life. I, was, I didn't realize I was chasing that feeling that music was giving me. The steady, uh, these steady drum rhythms release in the body gonadotropins. Here's another physiological problem. The other one was neurological. This is, this is actually physiological. It releases these gonadotropins, which are sex hormones, which enhance sexual arousal. So think of this, not only are we stimulating a release of opioid in the brain, a, a hormone that's like an opioid, and, 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 and it's causing that brain to go, oh, okay. Now we're also releasing gonadotropins. We're enhancing sexual arousal. Now, as young people who have not yet been married and they want to keep themselves sexually pure and keep themselves for that wedding night with their spouse, 
Imagine them trying to make this decision of, Lord, I want to please you. I, I, I want to stay sexually pure, and I don't want to have uh, intimate relations before marriage. And so they've made this choice, and that's the right choice to make, praise God. When you do it God's way, it's a blessing, friends, I'm telling you. And they make this choice, but, you know, Johnny likes Susie, and they're going to go off to this youth event, and he's, gonna, he's a young, fine young man. I mean, he's like fifth-generation Adventist, you know. And she's a fine young lady, and they've raised in good homes. But mom and dad haven't been real careful at auditing what they're listening to. And indeed, they're listening to some of this Christian music that has these driving drum rhythms. It's releasing that, oh, wow. And mm, mm, she's really hot. She used to be cute. Now she's really hot. What's happening is you're arousing things that you're already having a challenge because you're in this hormonal state going through this thing called puberty, which is taking a boy into becoming a man. And a lot of stuff is growing and happening. And it's kind of almost a mania type of time. It's like, ugh. And then you have these hormones that are raging that are taking a girl into a woman. And all sorts of things are changing. So let's do this. On top of it, let's listen to music that releases these, these gonadotropins, which will actually enhance sexual arousal. What are we doing? We're saying, good luck, go for it, go to the youth event. And as they're driving along and that music is playing, that Christian music with all this drumming and everything going on in there, this is happening to their body, to their mind, before you know it, they're not just holding hands. It's kissy-kissy, touchy-touchy, and everything else. Hmm. Christian, you really shouldn't be talking about these things. Baloney. Amen? Amen? Now, does it mean that the moment you're listening to this, that all of a sudden you become a pervert and you're like, oh, look, she... <laughs> no, 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 friends. It's much more subtle than that. People go, I never acted like that. No, no, no. We're becoming hypersexualized in our environments. Look at the internet. Look at what's going on. It's hypersexuality today everywhere you go, right? Yes or no? It is. Open your eyes. And then we're stimulating a release of hormone on top of that. So it doesn't mean you become a pedophile or a pervert overnight because you're listening to this kind of music, but it's stacking the deck against you. Make sense? Loud, booming bass music has a similar effect. And it's no wonder that adolescent males prefer these types of music. They're either stimulating a re release of brain chemical, stimulating their hormones, or both. When I was a young man, out in the world, of the world, in the world, I was a good worldling, I had a small little sports car. And I had two 18-inch subwoofers in this car. I mean, you could hear me probably for a mile away. It, 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 would, it vibrated and rattled my head for so many years. It's unbelievable. It's amazing I can put a sentence together. <laughs> and it was Friday night, and it was time to go out on the hunt. I mean, on, go out and cruise the boulevard. <laughs> Come on now. I'm just going to be transparent with you, my friends. Because the reality is, I was driving around. I didn't do illicit street drugs. I didn't drink alcohol. Different friends and people were doing that. But I'm telling you what, I was jacked on my music. Oh, indeed. And I was causing release of hormones. And I was enhancing sexual arousal. And I was out there looking for the girls. I was driving around. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Don't tell me that doesn't happen. It does happen. I was one of the victims, if you will. But I was a willing participant. So when con- let's talk quickly about syncopation. And we're going to start getting into some mechanics. When composers alter the uh, rhythm of a song by shifting the accents around, they, they vary the timing of measures, within, even within a measure sometimes, and they'll add backbeats or breakbeats. And now I'm going to give you a vocal representation of this. If I had a drum set up here, I could show you, but I don't. Here's how it works. When you have a, uh, in music, we have what are called time signatures. And, and the most common one is called 4-4 four, four time. And in fact, it's so common, it's called common time. <laughs> okay? So if a musician gets together, go, okay, let's do this on common time. Here's one, two, three, four, two, two. Okay, we know what the rhythm's going to be. Let's start an A and let's go. And all the musicians know and they can start playing. It's not a miracle. They understand music. And so what happens is you have within that measure, you're supposed in 4-4 four, four time, you have four notes that are going to be, be in there and each one gets a count. Okay, so you have one, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, three, two, three, four, four. Okay, so that's, that's common time, four, four time. So if I'd sing a little song, I'd go, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's just four, four time. In fact, if somebody had a drum and played that drum, in that type of cadence, with that march, I see nothing wrong with that. Not in the house of God, but we could march to that. Nothing wrong with that. But if I shift that accent, or let me do this, you could, that's on the first, or on the third, or on the third, and the third. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the accent on the one and three. There's nothing wrong with this. It works just fine. There's other types of time signatures we can work with. I'm just illustrating 4-4. Four, four. I'm going to shift it now from the accent on Jesus loves me and just shift it to the two. Jesus loves me. This I know. Oh, for the Bible tells me so. Oh, oh, oh. That sounds a little interesting, right? That's called syncopation. That's all it is. You're shifting the accent around in a place that it would not normally land within that measure. So we could go to shift it just to the third. Jesus loves me, this I know, oh, for the Bible tells me so, oh, little ones to him belong. Oh, let me pull my pants down, hang on. <laughs> or I could shift it to the fourth. Jesus loves me, this I know, oh, for the Bible tells me. See how it changed it totally? You're, now, now hear, hear me out. Syncopation is not evil. It's not evil. Seems like I'm contradicting myself, right? No, 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 no. Listen, syncopation is like seasoning to a meal. And if you over-season the meal, what happens? It ruins it for the taste buds, right? If we over-syncopate a song, it ruins it for the neurology and the physiology. Yes or no? Yes, it does. So if the song has syncopation all throughout it, that's where the problem comes in, or for a large uh, section of the, of the music. But we can use syncopation like seasoning on a meal, and when you season it just a little bit here, a little bit there, it brings out some flavor. Yes or no? Yes. 
It does the same thing for music. Syncopation itself doesn't ruin the song unless it is the song or a large chunk of it. It can be added here or there for interest, adding some flavor, if you will, to the music. Make sense? Because some people will tell you syncopation is evil. If that's the case, you've got to throw out a lot of music, including a lot of classical. You have to. It's there. So let's play with a couple of these demonstrations now. Here's a couple different kinds of songs, or excuse me, of beat drumming. And this is more of like a conga beat. But again, this is where we're varying where the accent is. It's not like a, a one, two, three, four, or one, two, a one, two, three, four. I'm sorry. Sometimes it gets very difficult to do verbally. The reality is, when you shift it around, that's when you have the syncopation. Now, you can have different kinds of beats as well. You can have a back beat. You can have a break beat. Jesus, me, this side, oh, for the, it tells me so, oh. You can do all different kinds of things, um, musically speaking. This is a basic conga beat. Here's more of like a basic beat that you'll find. This is syncopation. Here's more of a medium beat. Here's more of like a club kind of beat. And I could, we could listen to all different variations for the rest of the Sabbath. And we're not going to do that. So the reality is, by shifting it around, you create the syncopation. The challenge with most of the music today, not all, but most of the very popular music today, is what we've done is before you were supposed to really have melody, harmony, and rhythm. And the devil has turned it upside down, and now it's rhythm, maybe some harmony, and maybe even a melody, maybe. And so what happens is totally upside down, and the rhythm now dries everything, and the message of the song is largely lost. Because, but we like it neurologically because we're getting a little bit of a dope hit in a sense, or we like it because of what it's doing in our physiology, releasing those gonadotropins. Is this making sense at all yet? Okay, we're going to move on. In the 1840s, many free and enslaved Africans started turning to Christ and were allowed to have their own churches. This is something that actually uh, I've learned that a lot of African Americans don't understand about their heritage. Not everybody that was black that came from Africa were slaves. Did you know that? That's true. There were actually two groups largely. There were some that were never enslaved. Praise the Lord. Amen. And then there were many that were enslaved. But there were some people that were absolutely always free. Now, this is what's amazing. America was, was, was largely founded for religious freedom, yes or no? But don't think that those who were pursuing religious freedom were the ones that were doing all the enslavery. There were a lot of people that came over here that had nothing but self in the view of of their life. They wanted to do whatever it took to get ahead in life. And indeed, when you have a free country, you get a lot of undesirables. Some turned away from drums completely. Others, unfortunately, incorporated them into their new faith. They would sing the same hymns as the Caucasians, but with shouting and beating out counter rhythms on tambourines, gourds, and logs. Eventually, this brought about the Holy Flesh movement. This is interesting. Eventually, in, in early America, about the 1840s, it brought up along this whole thing called the Holy Flesh Movement. In fact, it goes on right down here in the South. Did you know that? Anybody heard of this thing? What they'll do, it's interesting. 
just like in the pagan rituals and this ancestral worship, they are seeking for possession, my friends. They are running around and they're doing these and they're doing that in the church now. Guess what they'll do? They'll take arsenic and they'll drink it. They're playing, they're running around and they're playing this music and they're getting jacked on it and they're drinking arsenic and they don't get sick. They're having snakes bite them, venomous snakes, and they don't get sick or die. What's going on here? What's interesting, my friends, is congregants still sought for possession, but now it was called the Holy Ghost. Interesting, isn't it? Very, it's spiritualism. In fact, could you say the word baptized paganism? It's exactly what it was. Now, do I believe that these new converts were trying to bring demon possession into the church? No, they didn't understand that they, I think their hearts were in the right place. They had a faulty methodology. I think that's what's going on today. I think a lot of people today don't realize they're bringing things in that, that I believe God does not condone. And I don't think their heart's in the wrong place. I think their heart's in the right place. But I think they have a faulty methodology. And then we run into people like this in history. Aleister Crowley. You ever heard of Aleister Crowley? Yeah, he founded the religious philosophy of Thelema. He wrote the Book of the Law. And in the Book of the Law, it states, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. He claims that his, his higher self or a, a guardian angel of sorts gave him all of this information. Oh, I guarantee you, it was, a, it was a guardian angel. His name was Lucifer, Satan, the adversary. He desired to bring music uh, desired to use music to bring on the new age. He desired to use an army of youth to indoctrinate with, do what thou wilt. And his philosophy, my friends, it spread like wildfire uh, through the music world and eventually other media outlets. So now we have this synthesis beginning. We have this combination of the African rhythms with this do what thou wilt philosophy, with this new music that was starting to kind of mash together and it started to become very popular, and groups early on in the 1950s, like Bill Haley and the Comets, began writing hit songs. You ever heard of Bill Haley and the Comets? So now understand, this is, this is after an evolution of going from, uh, from the blues to ragtime to rhythm and blues, and then eventually into jazz, and eventually they ventured into this new thing called rock and roll. And what's interesting, and here's a direct quote of a book I read, as a white band, they were using black-derived forms as they ventured into rock and roll. And this continued into the 60s and 70s. The problem with the music were, was myriad. It had the driving rhythms, the polyrhythmic elements, but the bigger problem was it was a lot of fun. And the devil candy-coated his poison. And so check this out. If you go to New Orleans today, you can go to a place called Congo Square. And in the full seminar, we look about all this stuff. Because what, what was promised by Aleister Crowley was, he said, if you practice my Satanism, this bold, the devil will make you a genius in music. And there were people that took him up on it, and indeed, they, they garnered incredible skills in music. And so what happens is, you have this, this rhythmic instrument you, you have this tribe that's creating this rhythm, and there in Congo Square, they, they were not allowed to continue this because the church looked at the Catholic Church at the time and said, this is pagan, this is inappropriate, you can't do this. And so over time, it evolved 
And what's interesting is different instruments were developed. Not just these big drums anymore. They developed what was called back then the contraption set. And this would, understand, don't, don't think for one minute that this was just the, the, those that were enslaved or the, those from Africa. Everybody, here's what I love about the art scene, frankly. In the art world, the true art world, the art world doesn't see color. If you have talent, oh, you got talent. And they want, they want to mash, they want to jam with you, they'll do whatever. And so what happened was you had this mashing together and this contraption set was derived where you would sit on the throne, listen, and instead of a whole tribe banging out these complex rhythms, one person with some sticks in his hand and his feet could play with all four limbs and do what a tribe used to do. And guess what it was? It was now much more presentable. It didn't look so tribal. And the spiritual aspect of that tribal drumming now became a secret in the music. And it was now put in this Western form of presentation, and people took it in hook, line, and sinker. And the church even said, yeah, that's great. We put our blessing on it. Here's the problem. It was too much fun. And so all the rhythms started coming in. And notice, we're going to play a sample here. It's the way the song is sung, but beep, bop, the way he's singing is rhythmic. Now a new guitar is introduced. It's rhythmic guitar, the saxophone, the trumpets, the boom, boom, the basses, everything, the drumming, all of it. The whole song is percussive, but compared to what we listen to today, it almost seems like child play. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. Listen, you glad right so join me home. We'll have some fun when the clock strikes one. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. We're gonna rock, rock, rock. Everything is rhythm. So you, you don't think that's very tribal, do you? But friends, it has all the same elements. It just has a different flavor. That's it. It's a different flavor. Here was the problem, my friends. Like never before in America had the young people and the older people who were listening to this music, had they ever had the release and the hit of the opioids and the release of the gonadotropins, they had never experienced it like this on that level. And it was releasing this. And friends, what's very interesting is if you look at the musical history, when this music was being introduced, not just introduced, forming into what it became, the interesting thing is that teen pregnancy started to track right with it. Alcohol consumption by young people started to rise. Cigarette consumption rise. Everything of a vice in nature started to go right up with it. Oh, that's of the devil. In a sense, they were right. The reality is, my friends, that it was all tending and releasing things like never before. Did you know, do you know where the name rock and roll came from? Alan Freed, a, a DJ back then, he was on the radio and he's like, what, what's this new music called? What are we going to call this? And, and he, he was trying to figure out, he would go around the different sock hops and the different dances and things, and he would see that these young people were playing this music and listening to it in these environments, and they would run out into the parents' cars, drinking alcohol, smoking, and doing, like never before, and they were doing things in the back of their parents' car to cause it to eat, 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 rock and roll. And this is where the actual term came from. That's pretty gross, don't you think? Nobody? Okay. 
the problem was it was happier, it was fun, it was energetic. And, and what happened for the first time in American culture is that there became a divide. It wasn't there before. There was a divide between the youth and the parents like never before. And there's this whole integrated youth rebellion began. And do what thou wilt was in full bloom. We, by the time you hit the 60s and 70s, we'll decide what goes on, what we do, what we smoke, what we listen to, how we dress, how we talk, and how we act, and where we go, and do what thou wilt became, do your own thing. In fact, every generation has their own rephrasing of the devilish philosophy of do what thou wilt. Mm -hmm, that's one of them. So the youth became emboldened with this revolutionary new rebellion and do what thou wilt permeated this era. And in some music, the satanic elements were hidden while with different groups, it was in your face Satanism. You ever heard of the Rolling Stones? You ever heard of the Beatles? Did you know that the Beatles were open, absolute antichrist? They said that themselves, we're more powerful than Jesus ever was. We, and, and they had nothing to do with Jesus. They were antichrists. They called themselves that themselves. And then what's interesting is you have the same record label. This is crazy. Here's the same record label, and a lot of companies will do this. They'll, they'll produce the, the high-fat version of something and the low-fat, and they get you as the consumer either way. Okay, well, the same record label offered up the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And there were people going, oh, you know, the Rolling Stones, those guys are evil. I don't listen to them. They're Satanists. Did you know that? I listen to the Beatles. <laughs> if you look at some of the early pictures of the Beatles, man, they dress like this. I want to hold your hand. I mean, they, you, didn't, you wouldn't think the devil was going to work through them. And by the time they were done, their music had altogether changed. So... Sympathy for the devil. This was a... Now, and why are we going through this? Because I'm showing you where music start. It was very similar, and it was similar, acceptable, and beautiful. And it went through that devolution, and music has become very similar again, but very similar in the church and out in the world. And friends, it's gone through a devolution many times. And so what repents me, frankly, is that this used to be one of my bands I'd listen to. And I remember this song. But friends, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. I did not know Bible stories. I did not know the great controversy. I didn't, you had heard there's Satan and there's God if you live in America. You understand some basic things. But I had no idea what this, this song was all about. Here's the newsflash. The devil has disciples. Did you know that? The devil has disciples. And they are well funded, my friends, by the world. Not just Jesus with disciples. And I can tell you this, this song was written by the devil himself. And I was in a rental car, and I was driving, and someone had it on a station, and this song came on. And I was in the process of writing with my wife this whole music seminar. And as it came on, I went, oh yeah, that's right, that song. That used to be like one of my jams. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting here listening, and I almost had to pull over because I started to cry because it was such a slap in Jesus' face. This is, by the time we hit the 60s and 70s, this is what music had become.
What's that? That was a new sound. No, very old sound. You see, the devil is engaged in creating music, my friends, but not all music by God's grace. Amen? So don't think that just because it's an art form that it's okay because the devil has sunk his fingernails, his claws into any art form that he can, including music. And so music goes from once honoring God in that pre-modern era that we talked about and then it started to mold and shift as we started to embrace these, these theories of evolution and the, theory, the species, origin of the species, and music became much more animalistic, and before you know it, it started going through that more devolution, and by the time we hit the 60s and 70s, music was all out in your face, not all of it, but it was there and present, and they didn't even hide their Satanism. All out, in your face, I was there. The devil wrote that music, my friends. He's talking in first person. How do these people know that story? I was a worldly person. I just liked how the music made me feel. I just liked that, that kind of gritty, bluesy, kind of rock kind of thing going on. I wasn't discerning that that was a slap in Jesus Christ's face. And then Anton LaVey picks up Crowley's church and, torch and establishes the official church of Satan. He wrote the Satanic Bible. And Crowley's do what thou wilt is the whole of the law is the church of Satan's official philosophy. So the legitimate church of Satan built its doctrine on that of Aleister Crowley, who was an open, bold-faced Satanist. LeVay says, let's just get them to a place where they forget their logic and just do what thou wilt. So polyrhythmic beats and elements will bring us to a place where we forget our logic, my friends, because the frontal lobe is not able to do its job. That prefrontal cortex is in that state to where it goes into that alpha mode or even deeper into different type of hypnosis, and the reality is it can't do its job properly. Are you seeing the problem? Anybody? Are you tired? You're just sitting there. I'm getting tired. <laughs> High tech and the low frequencies. This is interesting. Reporter Jason Sneed wrote about the huge club and DJ scene, and here's what he writes. He wrote, DJ Lauren, or AKA Bass Nectar, represents the wave of DJ success, playing amazing sets to dance floors throughout North America and beyond. Bass Nectar shows have this future primitive feel of all out revelry resulting from the tribal unity of audience involvement. 
As you go through, you'll find in the 1980s, music became much more sexualized. And what's interesting, it went from do what thou wilt to do your own thing to live and let live. You heard that one? That's, that was the phrase when I was growing up, live and let live. In the 1990s, music became much more explicit in contact. In fact, it became so explicit that now labels had to be put on the music cassettes or CDs, and they were hidden or displayed behind the counter. I worked at a music store, and I remember young kids coming in with their parents, the parents buying this explicit content. I'm talking really rank, nasty stuff. Really bad. That's the one, Mom, I want that one. I'm grabbing, going, man, I, as a worldly kid, I, a teenager, I was going, this kid should not be listening to it. Mom would buy it, give it into the hands of that young boy. They'd walk, he'd put it in his Walkman, right, he'd break it open, stick it right there, right then, and start listening to it. I'm like, oh, no. Houston, we have a problem. In 2000s, you only live once. Do what thou live, do what thou will. You only live once. Every single generation has their own iteration of a devilish philosophy. Friends, it's not about what you and I want as a Christian. As a worldly person, it's all about you. As a Christian, it's all about Him. Amen? Even our worship service shouldn't be about me. Our worship service is supposed to be about God. We'll talk about that as we move on. Remember this clip. That's one of the voodoo clips. I was, tr I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, how do I, how do I show people that really that's the same as this? Especially non-musical people. So see, as a musician, I can hear that those are really the same. That's just more modern, a little more EDM type, electronic type dance music, little club mixture in there. How do I do this, Lord? And the Lord gave me the idea, play the song right on top of it, put the other, the drumming, the tribal African drumming right on top of that. And friends, when I did that, I was absolutely astonished because not only was it the same rhythm, it was actually in time. So I'll play the song, and when I point my finger up like that, you will hear the tribal drumming come in over top of it. Same thing. Same thing. Music is mathematical, you're right. Marilyn Manson. He says, have anybody ever heard of Marilyn Manson? Yeah. Marilyn Manson, by the way, where did Marilyn Manson, I keep wanting you to go back here to show the slides. <laughs> so different to be like, where are they? Marilyn Manson, his name is taken from two of his heroes, Marilyn Monroe and Charles Mas Manson, the massacre, the, the masochist. He actually put the two together to fuse and create his stage name. Here's what he says, I don't know if anyone has really understood what we're trying to do. In other words, they have a motive. They have a goal. What is that? To lure people in, and once we've got them, we can give them our message. It's a pure message of Satanism. He says, hopefully I'll be remembered as the person who brought an end to Christianity. This is their motive. This is their goal. They think that we are the cattle. They think that we are the dumb ones that are following, following these cunningly devised fables. No, my friends, the reality is we have the truth, and they are deceived. 
but they want to bring people in and give them their message. Because really, what they say is, the devil wants to free you from your bondage. No, he doesn't. He wants to put you in a different kind of bondage. Because re religion, religion, my friends, by the way, is bondage. Did you know that? Oh, you don't know how to answer that, did you? Religion hasn't saved one person. Jesus Christ saves the soul. Amen? Religion can't save you, my friends, but a relationship with Jesus Christ can. When Jesus came, he was against the religion that was of the day because they weren't doing it right, and it was his own people, right? I wonder if we could be imitating that again today, repeating it. He also said, Marilyn Manson, if somebody kills themselves because of our music, then that's one stupid person, one less stupid person in the world. And then probably one of the most profound things that he said, and I want parents to really hear this one. Raise your kids better or I'll be raising them for you. You see, they understand. Scientists understand. Musicians understand. In fact, many Christians understand, but some don't want to, that these things that we partake of can radically alter the character of the listener. And here we go. And we, we let our kids sometimes listen to stuff that they shouldn't be listening to. As a Christian, this seminar is for Christians. Do I hear an amen? amen. Okay. This is not for the worldly person because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Nevertheless, these principles are universal. They are. But friends, when, we're, when my boys were growing up, I was very careful to not allow them to hang out with anybody, just anyone. Why? Because of the influence, right? If that little boy was a little brat, you know, I didn't want to raise two little brats. Amen? Uh, if he was a little violent kid, I wouldn't let my kids go hang out with the violent kid. Why? I was being a faithful parent. Yes or no? Yes. yes. But friends, we have to be careful because many of us are failing. And we let them start to hang out with many different friends. Many different friends hanging out with, oh, they're not right there physically, but friends, this new generation, they don't care about being there physically. It's about an online world. Who are they hanging out with? And I want you young people to think and ask the question, who are you hanging out with more on your devices? Would you be embarrassed, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, and young person, if we were able somehow to put up on the screen what you looked at and watched this past week? What if, we were, what if we had to do that every week? Wow, it's really quiet. <laughs> we're going to end with this real quick, and then we're going to take a quick... What time am I stopping, by the way? There's no clock back here, so I don't get to see what, where we're at. I need someone who's in charge to tell me what time do I stop this meeting. In about 10 minutes. Okay, perfect. Thank you. So I will stop at about 5 to 4, and we'll take a short break, um, and I'll be, I'll be ready to go here. So this is where things start to get really interesting and really fun. We're done with the history now. Do you see that largely music went through a devolution, yes or no? Okay, we got to be careful. I believe it was a design. I don't think anything happened by accident. I think there was a very ingenious incredibly talented, incredibly intelligent foe that was designing much of this. Christian, there's no such thing as an evil or moral musical note. Give me a break. 
And I had someone approach me, with, that's why it's in here now. Someone approached me and said, come on, there's no such thing as, as an evil or moral musical note. Are they right? Yeah, oh, so I heard yeses and I heard noes. They're right. There's no such thing as an evil or, or moral musical note except for the one I found. Here's the one, ready? I'm gonna play the evil note. Here we go, ready? There it is. Middle C. It's Laodicean. It, it's lukewarm. And the Lord will spew it out of his mouth. No, come on. No, that, that's talking about people, not notes. The reality here, my friend, there is no such thing as an evil note. No, no, or a moral note. But friends, that's, there's no such thing as an evil letter of the alphabet or a moral letter of the alphabet. I can take the same alphabet and I can create poetry and scripture or I can create profanity and vulgarity. Amen? It's the same with music. I can create a beautiful piece of music that's uplifting and ennobling by the way that I arrange the notes or I can use the same notes and arrange them in a way that is sexual, sexual, angry, inappropriate for the Christian. Yes or no? That's not even an argument. You see, music is a language. And in language, we have letters that create words that build sentences. And sentences create paragraphs and chapters create manuscripts. In music, we have notes. And those notes comprise and make up measures or they're contained within measures that create phrases and sections and movements create compositions. And language, whether spoken or played, has the ability to affect our thoughts and feelings, thereby influencing our character. Yes or no? Yes. So words are very powerful, my friends. Words become exponentially more powerful when we add body language to them. So I want to give you a couple illustrations. It's a little fun. It's interesting. I love Jesus. What do you think about those words? Good? Anybody not like those words? Get them! No, I'm kidding. <clears throat> I love Jesus. All right. I'm going to say this in various ways, and I want you to interpret it. Ready? Here's the first one. Look up here. Ready? I love Jesus. What do you think? No. I said the words, I love Jesus. What's wrong with it? What, it's like a robot? Yeah. In fact, why, what, what is unique about a robot? It's devoid of emotion, intonation, inflections. Yes or no? Yes. So let's go through a little experiment here. I'm going to use the words, I love Jesus. Everybody look up here. I want you to evaluate what I'm going to say. Ready? I love Jesus. A great. Amen. How did you come to that conclusion? Okay, body language, my gesture, what else? My face, my intonations, I love Jesus. What are you reading here? It's called body language. 93% of all communication, whether it's music or whether it's spoken word, 93% is body language. It's unspoken communication. Only 7% is the lyrics is what I say. Did you hear what I said? I mean, that is an important 7%. Did you hear what I said? Okay, so the first one, we call it more like a, a, a proclamation. Looking up here, ready? I love Jesus. No, yeah, I mean, I'm, I love Jesus. Wait a second. 
I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Oh, really, I, I guess I do. So, what's the body language here? Carelessness. What? I'm not really into it, right? Like, yeah. So, I kind of like paying lip service almost, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I love Jesus. What? It's almost sarcastic maybe, right? Kind of like, whatever. It's kind of like trite. So, in other words, did my body language, whatever, betray what I said? Yes! And friends, if I'm listening to a piece of music, even if it has Jesus lyrics, and it's got a body language of whatever, it betrays what I say. It becomes a house divided against itself. Do you catch that? Okay, look at this one. So that was kind of like whatever. Try it. How about, how about this one? I love Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I love Jesus. What's that body language? That's about what? You guys woke up. That worked great. Wow. Man, you, you guys really responded that one quick, huh? Hmm. Hmm. What are you listening to these days? No, so hey, that was sensual. You're right. And uh, Someone just said something like perverted. Yeah, like, and, and you said it, sir, in the, in the gray tie. What'd you say? Yeah, well, you know, you're supposed to love Jesus, but you're not supposed to love Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. So wait a second. Think about this. I said the same words. I love Jesus. And the great cry in Christendom is, it's only the lyrics that matter. Wait a second. I just said those lyrics of, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. The way I say it, the body language, the music is the body language. The music is the body language. The way I say it has much more weight than what I'm saying. You get it? Come on, I see light bulbs going on. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, how about this one? I love Jesus! What? I love Jesus. Don't you tell me I don't love him. What about that? What kind of body language is that? Anger, rage, right? So what if I'm listening to a song that's, I love Jesus, yeah, I love Jesus. Don't judge my music, it's of God. The Spirit led me to write that. <laughs> what Spirit wrote, le, led you to write that? Come on, when I think of I love Jesus, I, I should be led to a place to where I'm thinking about godly themes, amen? Not bringing it down to the sensual or the angry or the, the mean or the whatever, amen? Amen. Making sense? Praise the Lord. We're going to continue through this. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or sing, or listen to, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. What kind of music glorifies God? There are five criteria that we're going to go over next. It'll be fun. God bless you.